Okay, so normally I say let's turn our Bibles to a specific passage or book, but uh, today I actually want to encourage you to not do that because we are going to um, run through the book of Proverbs quite rapidly, and I think if you're going to try and look up every verse, uh, you're going to miss a lot, and all the verses will be on the screen. So rather I want to say to listen, if you take notes, to take notes about one or two of the, the most important Proverbs or the verse that you feel the Holy Spirit is really pressing upon your heart, but uh, really just to listen, I, I really suggest, think that's going to be the best way for you to listen to this sermon, because today we're going to talk about communication. And the reason why we're talking about this topic in the middle of our Ephesians series is because that uh, we have just finished uh, the husband's role, the, the wife's role, and, but I believe that one of the, if not one of the most important things in a marriage, or, or really any relationship, is communication. And the reason for that is, is that in some marriages, some husbands accept their role as lover and leader, and some women accept their role to respect and submit their husbands, but they communicate so badly with one another that it's like, you know, part of the engine that wants to try and work together, but there's no oil in between. There's nothing lubricating the, the engines, the parts, and therefore there's always friction, there's always fights. And... And this, why, this is why this is such an important topic for us to know, what does the Bible say? How do, how do we communicate biblically? But whether you're married or not, whether you're single or married, this is, these are principles for everyone. Because I don't know if you've noticed, you don't just speak to your husband and your wife, right? Those are not the only people you communicate with, right? We communicate with various different peoples, and therefore, I believe as we're going to look at these verses and all of these proverbs, these principles, they something is going to hit, something is going to help you understand how you can communicate better to glorify God in your words. Now think about your words for a moment. Our words have power. Your words have either the potential to heal, restore, build up, or do the opposite of that, to destroy, cut, hurt, not just other people, but even yourself, right, in a way. Our words have the potential to destroy us, not just temporarily, but even eternally. James, two, James 3 verse 2, listen to some of these, ver- the Bible has some strong statements and warnings about our tongue and our words. Listen to this. This is a very bold statement. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Anybody here willing to put up their hands to say, I'm a perfect man or woman. I have no sin. No. All right. So, okay, no, I rebuke you. (laughs) All right. Um, So we all have a problem with our tongue. That's the point. If, If the man that can control his tongue is perfect and none of us is perfect, All of us have an issue with our tongue. All of us. Jesus said this, Matthew 12, verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for what? Every careless word they speak. Isn't that humbling? Isn't that scary? Every single word will be judged. Matthew 5, verse 22 Jesus says, but I say to everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults 
his brother, will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So our words, it's not just a matter of living a good life and a bad life on earth, although it will definitely include that. But our words, according to the Bible, will either, it's ultimately a heaven and hell issue. It's ultimately that. Our words matter to God and therefore it should matter to you. So as we are pausing our study on Ephesians, we're going to look at this um, biblical communication and we're going to draw our attention to the book of Proverbs. And the way you study Proverbs, if you wanted to know, Proverbs is not best studied verse by verse. So what we like to do here is we like to take a book of the Bible and we move through it verse by verse. But Proverbs, you can't do that because all of the, the verses on either laziness or the tongue or whatever topic is scattered like diamonds in a mine. And you have to really walk, walk through the whole book to get one topic altogether and then start building your understanding around all of those verses. And that's what we will try to do as we walk through Proverbs as well quickly. Is We're going to look at three main points with some sub-points um, sub under them. The first point is the prerequisite for good communication according to Proverbs the principles for good communication, and then we'll close with some application. So here's the first point we will look together, the prerequisites for wise communication. What needs to be true of you before you even talk? What needs to be true of you as a, of, as a person, your character? Here's the thing. Good communication, if you only focus on techniques, is not enough. It's not enough. According to the Bible, there are prerequisites that you need before you'll be able to communicate well. And that is because of one simple fact about our lives and what the Bible says about our words. And it's simply this. Your words are connected to your heart. Your words, your tongue is connected to your heart. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 6.45? The good person, out of his good treasure of his heart, produces good. The evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Every parent should teach these verses to their children. Mom, I didn't mean it. No, you did. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. (laughs) What comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. Look at someone's words and you, you are looking at their heart. That's what Jesus says. Look at your words and you will see your heart as well. A person who swears a lot. Why is swearing so bad? Not necessarily because of the words, because what does that reveal about that person's heart? The person has an angry, bitter heart. That's why swearing is like second nature to a person. That's just one example of many, right? And that's why you can be a good communicator while also be a horrible communi- at communication with your relationships. Like, take comedi- if I can use a comedian as an example, comedians are excellent communicators, right? Excellent, right? They, that's why there's crowds packed and that's why people listen to them. But that person might have gone through his third divorce already because he's horrible at talking with his wife at home. He's horrible at speaking biblically. When it comes to his interpersonal relationship. So what we're talking about here is not public speaking. It's not being good communicator. But rather good at communication with one another. With the people that you love. 
So before we even begin talking about some of the practical aspects of Proverbs, because Proverbs, if you know, is very practical, let's talk about the prerequisite. It's the first prerequisite that's necessary for you to be a good communi- at communication, and that is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. All of you knew, anyone who knows Proverbs knew I was going to go there, right? That's the theme of the entire book. Uh, Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the early one is insight. So good, wise, wholesome, biblical communication must begin with the right relationship with God. That's where it begins. You, don't, you haven't even begun if you don't know God. If you don't know the Lord, if you don't trust him, if you don't fear him, if you don't obey him, if you don't submit to him, you won't be good at communication, period. Let me give a few practical examples of how this looks like, right? So you open your Bible in your quiet time and you read, Jesus says, for every careless word, I will have to give an account. Okay, I'm going to think twice now about what I'm saying next time. Or I'm a husband and I'm reading 1 Peter 3 verse 7 and I'm reading, Husbands, live of your wives in an understanding manner, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, so that your prayers may not be hindered. God says, if you treat your wife badly, I'm not listening to your prayers. Okay, God, I fear you. I'm going to be gentle with your daughter. I'm going to be... I'm going to live with her in understanding. I'm going to be good with my communication with my wife because I fear you. Do you see how it works? That's how it works. But there is another dynamic. It's not just that I fear God and therefore I want to keep his laws. There's another dynamic. A very practical, functional dynamic here is you become like the object you worship. You become like the object that you worship. If you worship idols and not worship the one true and living God, you are going to become like idols. And that's the point. Listen to this in Psalm 115, verse 4 to 8. So here's a list. This is, what, this is what idols are doing, right? It says their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but what? They do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. So what's one of the connections we can make? If idols don't listen, idols don't see, idols don't speak, so guess what's going to happen to you if you start to worship other things above God? You are going to be horrible at listening. You're going to be horrible at speaking. You're going to be horrible at seeing and understanding because you are becoming like the dumb idol that you are worshiping. That's what Scripture says. We become like the thing we worship. But the flip side is also gloriously true. What happens when you worship the true God, the living God, the all-glorious and all-awesome God of creation? What happens? You become like Him. And what is he like? Well, he's an excellent communicator. When God speaks, he speaks clearly. Right? When God speaks, he sometimes speaks some things that's hurtful for us, but it's the best for us. God is a good communicator. God is also a good listener. If we pray, right? Okay, he's God, so he can listen to all our prayers at the same time. But still, can we admire that fact that he listens to every single prayer we pray? 
And in the same way, when we worship God, we become like him. We learn to listen, to try to understand people's hearts. We learn to speak the truth, even when the truth sometimes hurts people. We learn to say what we really believe, what we really think. We're not trying to hide our true emotions, our true thoughts. And praise God, this is a process, right? So none of us, when you are saved, suddenly, boom, you're an excellent communicator. No, this is a process. As we grow in our love for the Lord, as we grow in our relationship with God, we also grow on this side where we learn to speak and listen and communicate better with other people. Listen to a few Proverbs as well, where it makes a strong connection between being a righteous person and communicating. Now, being a righteous person, remember, means to be right with God. That's the main thing it means. First, right with God, and that overflows into your life. So Proverbs 10, 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Proverbs 12, 13, an evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. Someone who, who has an evil heart, who's an evil man, always gets in trouble with his tongue, right? But the righteous escapes from trouble. So, listen, if you struggle with communication, you have to begin here with this prerequisite, right? You have to begin at the beginning. <laughs> and the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's where you begin. And you begin there by acknowledging that you are a sinner who needs his salvation. You begin to have a right relationship with God when you realize that you don't have a right relationship with God from birth. You're not a good person. We are born with a sinful heart. Our hearts are dragging us away from God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, the wicked included, believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life so listen jesus died for you he died for your sins come to him if you have a tongue problem it means you have a heart problem and the only person that can change your heart is jesus it's nobody else and that's where you need to begin but here's a second prerequisite as well and that is you also need a heart free from bitterness and anger so not only do you need to have the fear of the Lord, but you also need a heart that is really free from bitterness and anger. The Proverbs can, can continually connect quarreling, striving, fighting with anger and bitterness. Listen to Proverbs 15, verse 17 to 18. Better is a dinner of herbs, or as some Americans say, herbs. <laughs> dinner of herbs, where love is, then a fattened ox and hatred with it. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Listen to 29 verse 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Do you see? So if you're just an angry person, none of the second of the principles of Proverbs is going to help you. You first need to deal with the heart of anger. You first need to deal with that angry heart. If you find yourself fighting a lot, arguing a lot, check your heart. Are you angry? Are you holding on to the addictive sin of anger? Anger is one of those sins that quickly becomes a root of bitterness. Quickly. If you don't deal with it quickly, 
it can take root. It can destroy you slowly, like slow poison in your heart and in your, in your mind. And before you know it, because it's so addictive, because you are, you, you always, your first reaction is anger, it becomes second nature for you. But listen to what the scripture says. The scripture gives us this hope. It says, be angry and do not sin. That's Ephesians 4.26. So be angry, but do not sin. And the point there is, listen, sometimes the initial bubbling emotions of anger, you can't stop, but you can choose what to do with that. You can choose to not react upon your anger, to act upon that. You need to stop acting upon your anger if you want to become a wise communicator. If you constantly act upon that, you're never going to learn how to communicate as God wants you to. And perhaps the first step to deal with a heart of anger is to acknowledge your heart of anger and to stop making excuses for it. Isn't it so true that the angry man, the angry woman has a thousand reasons to justify their anger? Right? If you just didn't or if that person just doesn't stop doing that, then and this person and we just have this million justifications, but as long as you are justifying yourself, you're never going to go to the root of the problem. It will never be solved. So stop making excuses for your anger outbursts. Stop saying it's, it's other people's fault. It isn't. They might be the triggers, but you can choose what to do with it. Some people never learn to communicate well because they never have a heart free from anger and bitterness. And that's where you need to go. So I've heard of a marriage, for example, a marriage that they were married for many, many years. And for some reason, whenever they spoke to each other or about each other, they just couldn't say anything good about each other. And for many years, they just couldn't put their finger upon it. Like, why are we like this? The smallest thing just makes us snap at each other. And then a, a wise, loving friend one day just confronted them and said, listen, you two need to learn how to forgive one another. And it was as if that just struck them right in the eyes, like that was their problem. They were dealing with issues, but they never forgave. They never said, okay, I, I really forgive you. I'm not going to hold this thing against you anymore. They had bitter hearts and therefore they had angry words and angry outbursts. When they learned that love keeps no record of wrong, they were freed from that. Right? With true repentance, I'm not going to keep a record of your wrongs anymore. I'm going to cancel your debt. So that's, a, that's a vital for good communication. Your heart needs to be clean from your anger and your bitterness. But here's a third one, perhaps the biggest one and the last one as well, is humility. Humility. Pride is the mother of all sin. It's the mother, including sinful communication. Listen to 12, Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice a proud person doesn't feel the need to be corrected a proud person doesn't feel the need to ask for advice right the proud person doesn't feel the need to be correct or to learn anything because they are right in their own eyes they already feel they have all the answers in themselves it's too painful to confess i need help so i'll rather just deal with it, deal with it on my own such pride will cause people never to ask for forgiveness, always to blame shift other people. 
Again, do you see how if you are proud, you cannot communicate well? Humility is a prerequisite. You need to learn to know that you have a problem. Your heart is sinful. You need help. You need God's grace. And you need to humble yourself. And here is a basic test of a proud person versus a humble person. Listen to Proverbs 9, verse 7 to 8. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abused, and he reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. That's a test. Are you scared to tell someone about their sin or their mistake? Or their, if you are, that's a fool. Or you must build up courage to go if you've never done that, right? Or do you feel, I have that freedom to go because this person actually receives correction? 12 verse 1 is just blunt. Listen to Proverbs 12 verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Okay, I say to my boy, don't say that word. That's a strong word. But here, thus say of the Lord, he who hates reproof is stupideth. Okay, if that was... If that wasn't the King James, I would be reading the King James now. Okay? But that's what, the pro- that's what the proverb says. That's the test. Single people, this is a test before you get married as well. Right? This one test, does this person accept correction or is this person against correction? Cut your options in half to the glory of God. Okay? And for your own good. If you ask yourself, is this the kind of man that I can confront knowing he will receive it? Is this the kind of woman that I can correct knowing she won't blow up into tears, but listen to what I'm saying? And even that's a process. We, we're all on our process of receiving correction better. But, but listen, is that at least welcomed here? Or is this a fool who is wise in his or her own eyes, and therefore I'm going to be stuck with this person? This person is stuck in his own or her own stupidity. And you can't help that person. Listen, Proverbs is actually very, very um, realistic here. Listen to 26 verse 12. It says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. (laughs) Wow, even a fool is better off than someone that's wise in their own eyes because the fool that receives correction, can stop being a fool. But a person that says, I'm wise in my own eyes, you're stuck in your foolish. You're stuck. There's no hope for you until you humble yourself and say, I am a fool. I need counsel. I need correction. I need advice. Beloved, these are the most important prerequisites for wise communication. The fear of the Lord, have a heart cleansed from anger and bitterness, and be humble. But we need more help than that. So that's a helpful start. But now we also need the practical techniques, the practical tools for how to communicate well. And so here we go to number, point number two. Here's principles for wise communication. What does the Proverbs teach about how we should communicate and what we should not do in our communication? Now, we need this practical help because you can be a person that has the fear of the Lord that has a heart clean of bitterness and anger and is humble and still be horrible at communication because you're ignorant. Because you just don't know anything better. Let me give you the proverb we've been returning to a lot. 27 verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. 
Now, can you imagine the person blessing? The person has a good heart, right? It's a righteous person. I want to bless you. Okay, wait, let me just first get my first cup of coffee in, and then we can talk. Okay, amen? Okay, amen. Okay, I'm the only one. Um, after the first cup of coffee, I'm human again. Now we can communicate, okay? That's what I mean by this person probably had a good heart. I'm righteous. I'm blessing you. So, okay, do that after the coffee. So the way I thought would be helpful for us as we look at these verses is in the form of the put off and the put on. In other words, the stop doing this in your speech and start doing this. Okay, There's a negative side you should stop and a positive side you should start. Stop doing these communication sins and foolishness and start relying on God's ways and methods for wise communication. Here's the first thing we should put off and put on. is The first one is flattery. Stop flattering people. This is difficult, but this is a form of lying. I'm pretending to be something I'm not. I'm pretending that I like what you're saying when I don't like what you're saying. I pretend like your hair looks gorgeous while I thought it looked like you went through the something. Okay, I can't remember. You guys can color in the picture there. But listen to how the Proverbs describe flattering. 26 verse 28 says, A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. 29 verse 5, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Lying and flattering is hatred. It is making people a victim. It's not loving people. And isn't that so... So interesting as we flatter normally because we don't want to hurt people's feelings, right? Or sometimes like that. But the, the real hurt comes out when the truth comes out. And that's the point is often in our flattering, either the truth comes out by our actions or by our words or by a gossip and the person found out the truth and it hurts 10 times more than it should have. So flattery should be put off. Especially think of your marriages, be brutally honest with one another. Okay, we've, we've used this example in the past, but I, I believe we should even be honest about how we think about one another's dress. And if your wife asks you, how do I look? Do you like this dress? Be honest and say, I don't like that one so much. Okay, but luckily 90% of the time Deborah looks great, so <laughs> I don't have a big problem there. Um, but the point is that when I do say she looks good, she knows I'm speaking the truth. Isn't that what you even want? Don't you want the right answer, the true answer? Right? So stop flattering. Put that off and therefore put on the opposite of that. What's the opposite of flattery? Well, number one, the fear of the Lord and loving other people. Okay? So again, back to the fear of the Lord. But listen to 29 verse 15. It says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Often flattery is motivated by a fear of man. I'm scared to tell this person the truth. You want to be safe. You want to protect yourself and therefore you don't speak the truth. But look at what this proverb says. It says you're doing the exact opposite, what you want to achieve. Instead of promoting safety for yourself, when you fear people and not tell them the truth, you actually spread a net for yourself. It lays a snare. You're not safe then. Where does true safety come in? Lord, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to say it like it is. I love the one Puritan said it so beautifully for me. It says, truth is most beautiful unadorned. 
truth is most beautiful when you say it like it is. Now, again, I don't mean being nasty. Some people are, in the name of truth, just hurting other people unnecessarily. No, I'm just a truth speaker. If you can't deal with it, get out of my face. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when someone asks you something to say the truth, to speak the truth, not flatter people, not pretend to like something when you don't like it. 24 verse 26, listen to this. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Wow, isn't that interesting? Honesty produces the kind of relationship that fosters intimacy and true friendship. Now, when you hear kisses the lips, don't necessarily think romantically. Remember, in the Bible's time, even in the New Testament, Paul says, greet each other with a holy kiss. Okay, and don't go now and say, there's no time limit there, and, you know, <laughs> try to apply it. Do you want to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word? Okay, don't do that. That's, that's for marriage, okay? Um, but Paul was saying, listen, this is, this is just the, the reality of a good friendship, is there's, there's affection, there's trust, there's honesty. There's honesty. I'm going to tell you what I really think. You, you asked my opinion, didn't you? How healthy would our marriages be? How healthy would our relationships be if we weren't scared to, always trying to flatter people, but just to say what we really think? Now, that doesn't mean we never correct someone. Sometimes we need to correct. Listen to 28 verse 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. That's just true, right? Sometimes people are even upset that you told them the truth. But they know this is a person that's going to tell me the truth in the future. So I'm going to go back to that person, Lord willing. That's the first one. Secondly, we should put off gossip and slander. That's the first thing we put off. The second thing we put off is, look at 10 verse 18. It says, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Now, I suspect what often happens when we want, we feel the need to talk about how another person has hurt us or we want to share other people's sins and faults is because we feel we need to share. This is so painful for us that we want to share it with other people. Or sometimes we just get a great kick out of it because it makes us just feel a little bit less awful or a little bit less sinful. If we can talk about other people's sins and other people's mistakes instead of our own. But Proverbs says that that's just foolish. Listen to 12 verse 16. It says, the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. The fool must immediately let everybody know how they feel. Somebody has hurt me, I must pronounce it on the rooftops. I can't wait to go and share with somebody. Their vexation is known at once. So, But how do we put this off? How do we stop this? What do we need to replace it with? Well, I believe the key to Gossiping less is to gossip more. Okay, now, if you edit my sermon right there, heretic exposed. <laughs> but hear me out. The key to gossiping less is to gossip more to God. And what I mean by that is, think about it. We need to learn when we are hurt, when we feel someone has hurt us and and we, or we have a pain and anxiety, a disappointment about somebody else, to make the first person we talk to it, it about God himself, not a human being. God already knows what happened. God was there when it happened. 
God saw the heart of the other person when it happened. God knows what you need after that has happened. So why don't you talk to him about it? But sadly, I think we gossip so much that we never pray because we feel a momentary relief. Okay, thankfully, it's off my chest. And we never pray about it. Instead of running to God, running to him, someone has just hurt me. Lord, you see how I feel. You see what this has just done in my heart. Lord, I'm giving that to you. Help me. What should I do here? Right? I suspect that when we start learn the, the subtle art of gossiping to God, that often our hearts will change first. Right? As we pray, as we share our hearts, as we cast our anxieties upon God, we often realize, hey, I don't need to talk to other people about this. You know? Or, no, I do need to go and speak to that person about this. Or, oh, I need some help. I need counsel, so I'm going to ask, but I'm not going to mention names or whatever. But as we pray about it, what's going to happen is your heart is going to change first. And that's exactly what you need to be freed from gossiping. And then you will be able to do things like this. Um, Proverbs 19 verse 11, it says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. should be like a glory. We should be thankful and happy to overlook an offense. Like 1 Peter 4 verse 8 says, that our love, love covers a multitude of sins. Now, when do you go and speak to the person that keeps on sinning? Well, when the person keeps throwing the covers off, then you go and you follow Matthew 18. Right? Go alone, take two or three witnesses, then tell it to the church. So that's what you need to do. Now, I want to flip the tables quickly and ask, what do you do when you found out somebody else gossiped about you? How do you deal with that? I found this verse, not in Proverbs, but in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes' advice is, don't take yourself so seriously. That's Ecclesiastes' advice. Listen to 7 verse 21 to 22. It says, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant, your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Isn't that an interesting way to deal with that kind of issue? Oh, wow, how many times have I gossiped? Okay. right or when you're tempted to think oh no this person thinks badly about me just stop and say don't I think badly of anybody right have I never gossiped before in my life now that doesn't make gossiping right so don't don't take this counsel it's like okay oh, let's go because everybody does it so let's let's do it no the point is it humbles you listen you actually just like that person you yourself have cursed others behind their backs. You yourself have gossiped. Can you give that person grace? The kind of grace you would have wanted them to give you if they found out you gossiped about them. So don't take yourself too seriously. Let it go. Cover that sin. Unless it might be a good thing to go and talk, but you should decide that in prayer. Okay, here's the third one. False promises. False promises are put off. Proverbs 25 verse 14, it says, Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. The idea here is that our words produces hope in people. When we say, I will do this, I will, I will get you there. Like clouds forming, like a farmer looking at the clouds, seeing, wow, it's going to rain. There's hope 
produced in their hearts. And then, but when it doesn't rain, that hope is disappointed. It, it hurts. 14.23, it says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Some people are big talkers, but little doers, right? They convince people with their words, but not with their actions. Now, the opposite of this is simply to do this. Think. Okay? Fear, fear God, not man. So don't just say, yes, 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 I'll do this. No. Think before you say yes. Think about your words. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. So think about your words. Think about, even if you have to remain silent for a second or two after the person has finished, do that. Think about what you need to say and then, and then say it. We need to allow people to even finish. Sometimes we are so, so, so quickly to, to answer someone that we never even allow the person to finish their sentence, right? We just try to answer them in the middle of their sentence. Now, again, this comes back to the fear of man and the fear of God. It's often that we desire to please everybody, that we just say yes to everything. We make hasty commitments and false promises. But we need to fear God and be humble in this sense I'm a human being. I can't do everything. I can't be everywhere. I can't please everybody. I am, I'm one person. And therefore, I have limits. And, it's, and that's why it's wise to say, to, before you answer someone, when I ask you something, let me think about that. Or sometimes even, I don't think I'll be able to do that. Or just sometimes, no. No, I, can't do, I won't do that because I'm limited. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So that's the put off and the put on. Let's, when we say we will do something, let's really commit to do it. If you need Google Calendar to help you, if you need a good app to, to install, do that. But don't forget, make those things practical. Number four, the second last one, is destructive words. Destructive words. Now, a famous verse here is 1821. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, this has often been used to, to say that whatever we speak can come into existence. That's not what this verse says. If I say three times, I am rich, or I will be rich, I will be rich, I will be rich, that doesn't change the fact that I'm a pastor. Do you see how it works? <laughs> it doesn't change reality. <laughs> okay? So... So this doesn't mean that if you just speak something, it's going to happen to you. No, that's not what it means. But what it does mean that if you are constantly negative, if you are constantly complaining, if you are constantly critical about other people, it literally kills people around you. It kills the relationships around you. Now, a very practical thing to, to think about is to think about the ratio of your affirmations or your positive words versus your negative words like correction, rebuke, and sometimes even criticism, right? Those type of things. The ratio wants to be at five to one. You want to, your words must be five times more affirming, blessing, seeing God's grace in people's lives for every one correction. And if you're married, make that 10 to one. Okay, married is 10 to one, 10 times how amazing you are, what I'm appreciating about you, and then only one time, after that 10 times, this wasn't good, this wasn't right. This is, and why that is important is, even if you make the ratio one to one, 
You know how human nature is like. For every one correction you give one affirmation, what happens? The negative just cancels out the, the positive. That's our human nature. Oh, you only said that positive because you really wanted to say the criticism. That's just how we are like. And you can even see that sometimes through people. Suddenly they're very friendly because they really want to get to one criticism or point they wanted to say. But our, our attitude, our lifestyle should be one of constant blessing, constant affirmation. And, and so that we have, I like, a way I like to think about it is, do you have capital in the bank to withdraw? Are you making regular deposits of, of affirmations? of well-dones, of I can see God working in your life. I am thankful for you. Is your account in the positive that you can withdraw with the correction, with the rebuke? Many people's accounts are in the negative and they just keep withdrawing, right? They just keep criticizing. They just keep telling people where they need to improve, where they just need to do better. And before they know it, that person just crumbles. It's, it's decaying. It's death. Parents especially, right? Parents and children. It's very, very important. How is your ratio with your children? Often parents become a no parent, right? The smallest thing, no, 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 no. Instead of having abundance of yes, a sea of yes, and then only that one time, like, no, this is not good for you. Listen to 12 verse 18. It says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 1624 as well. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. You see, our, we want our words to be gracious. We give people what they don't deserve. Often people deserve an angry outburst, or that's what we feel. But grace, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to speak grace to you. Now, again, that doesn't mean you never correct someone. You have to correct people. But our words should be seasoned with salt, seasoned with grace, seasoned with kindness. And I think one reason we resort to, to angry words or to trying to um, be negative all the time is because we think and believe that if we are not angry, things doesn't get done. Things don't get done. So the only way people listen to me, the only way things get done in this house or in this room is if I shout, if I use my anger. If I don't raise my voice, nobody, everybody is dead in this house. But Proverbs says, listen, 25 is 15. This is a proverb to memorize. Really, it is. It says, with patience, a ruler may be persuaded. And I love this. A soft tongue will break a bone. Angry words may be effective, but they will never be productive. It might work in the short term, but it will slowly destroy the people over whom you're angry with. Instead, what is God's means? Patience. Patience. Even if it doesn't happen immediately, be patient. Being willing to wait to communicate clearly. But also, look at what the rest of the proverb says. What a soft Tongue will do what? It will break a bone. You don't need anger to break someone's bones, if you know what I mean. Right? Some of the most painful corrections I've received was almost in a whisper. Right? Rian, have you noticed you do this? And it feels like my bones are breaking. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. I do that. Just speaking the truth in gentleness is powerful. So don't make the mistake to think that if I just speak gently, if I speak softly, I somehow am not speaking powerfully anymore. 
That's a misunderstanding. 15 verse 1 is not on the slideshow, but it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer, right? When someone's shouting, screaming, often a soft answer turns away someone's anger. Someone needs to start them. Now, these are God's means. Our words are to be a fountain full of patience, full of gentleness, and at times loving correction after we've made regular deposits of blessing and affirmation. And here's the last one. The last one together we'll look at is either talking too much or talking too little. (laughs) Either talking too much or talking too little. Proverbs repeatedly warns us against the over-talker. 10 verse 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. 17, 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So if you want to impress people, be silent. (laughs) So the the mistake comes in when you try to impress people by opening your mouth and like, oh, this guy doesn't know anything. (laughs) Okay, but... The point here is, this takes self-control. Not to speak too much. Now, I, I have a problem. This, this is where I will need your correction. I, I'm being paid to talk, okay? So I need your... Pastor Rian, just listen, <laughs> okay? You're talking a lot now. I'll take that with grace. But we need to restrain our words. We need to keep it back. Like the words of James says we need to tame the tongue. It's like an animal, Your tongue is wild. If you don't tame it, it's going to go loose, right? But as you know, there's another extreme, not just that of talking too much, but really talking too little, not communicating. And if you do not learn to truly share what you really feel, you also will not be communicating well. 14 verse 10 says, The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. Look at 14 verse 13. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. And what, what is amazing about these Proverbs is that people can't read our hearts. People can't read our minds unless we tell them. So even in laughter, someone can be truly sad, deeply sad. And the idea is that nobody, if you don't talk about it, if you don't share that, nobody's going to understand, nobody's going to hear you. And that's why I say sometimes we talk too little. We keep our hearts to ourselves. We never talk to anybody. Now, there's another extreme where you don't, you don't just talk to everybody and everything, everything is out there. No, you, you choose your, the people you share with wisely, but then you do truly share what you think and what you feel. And for both of these, the overtalker and the undertalker is to become a good listener. Because what both of these people have in common, the overtalker and the undertalker, is actually just self-centered. The person that talks too much cares too much about his or her own ideas. The person that talks too little cares too much about his or her own feelings. So to talk well is to forget about yourself and to listen well, to learn to focus not on yourself, but to focus on others. Become a good listener. Probably my favorite proverb is this one, 18 verse 2. It says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. 18 verse 13, 
If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Find pleasure in understanding other people. That's what this proverb says. Find pleasure, like, like finding a deep gold mine when you understand. Even if you disagree with what that person really thinks and really feels, find pleasure in understanding other people. Why do you do that? Why is that in your heart? Asking good questions, right? 20 verse 5, Proverbs 20 verse 5, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. People's hearts are deep. Sometimes people do things and they, don't, they themselves don't understand why they do them. But what does a man of understanding do? He draws it out with what? Good questions. Asking questions. Trying to play the detective. Okay, you did this. What happened before that? Why did you act like this? I want to understand you. I want to know why you did or why you say what you're saying. That's what it means. And that's why one of the things we should really, really stop doing is to become a mind reader. I hear this so often, right? While that person believes all women are evil. Wow, okay, why do you say that? No, I heard him make a joke about women. So absolutely true. That person is a woman hater, is evil. Okay, well, maybe, but you might be wrong, right? You might have... It might, be a, might have been a very specific situation. Or that person doesn't care. Oh, wh- why? Why do you say that? Person hasn't WhatsApped me in one week. Person hasn't called. Person doesn't love me. Okay, but may, do you, maybe the person's busy. Maybe. You see, so what, what, what we're doing is, I'm, I'm a mind reader. I can see into the depths of your heart without one question. I know who you are. Right? How much of our own um, insane fantasies, our insane make-up situations would be null and void if we just ask one clarifying question? Listen, I think this is what you meant. Is that what you meant? Can I clarify this with you? We should be slower at making conclusions and quicker at asking clarifications. That's what we need to do. Slower at making conclusions and quicker at asking clarifications because also being a mind reader fuels our gossip mind readers love to gossip they love to share that person did this or said this when they really didn't but because you were the mind reader you saw the situation and you had perfect knowledge of the situation that's your conclusion and it's it's fact it's rule And a proverb, unfortunately, I don't do too well in because I love people. I want to listen to people. But we will do well to take this proverb very seriously. 18, 17. So you see, all three of them were just in 18. So just memorize 18. You'll be okay. (laughs) Okay, but it says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. As a pastor, I have seen this over and over and over again. I always believe the first person, without exception. The first person that tells me their side of the story, I'm like, that person is a pig. I can't believe that person did this to you. Why? Because, okay, well, firstly, we we love people. We want to help people. But we don't take into account that this person might have misunderstood that person. This person might not have all the facts about that person. And that's why it says, listen, Proverbs says it's natural. 
So it's natural to want to believe the first person, but don't fall for the trap. Say, do you mind if I call that person, just talk to him or her about, no, 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 don't talk to the person about it, please. Oh, why not? Nothing to hide. Is there something to hide here? Or can't we verify some of these things? So this is important. We need to do this. And if you want to spare the pain, just do it yourself, right? Before you gossip, just go and verify. Go and ask the question, and that will spare you a lot of pain as well. So then, after we have all the facts, then it's our duty then to act upon that. So let me close with three very quick applications, very quick applications for us. So the first thing is, I know this has probably felt like a shotgun, shotgun proverb. Okay, none of you have to read Proverbs anymore because you've got the whole Proverbs here at church. But, but here's just something to take away. Firstly, take, do some log work. Okay, now you, the people who know your Bibles will know what I'm referring to. Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye. Some of us have been, have been listening to the sermon and you only have one other person in your mind. Don't do that. <laughs> You're thinking, I wish this person was in the sermon, that they can listen and hear what they need to do. Okay? No, in all communication, do log work. Lord, where have I sinned? Where have I failed? We have all communication sins. We have all fallen short of the glory of God in our tongues. All of us. So the first thing you need to do is just to acknowledge that. Stop making excuses for your communication sins. What did Isaiah say the moment he saw the glory of the Lord? He said, Isaiah 6 verse 5, Woe is me. Not woe is that person, woe is that sinner, woe is that wicked man. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is that poverty of spirit that Jesus talks about. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who know they are bankrupt spiritually. They have nothing to offer God but their sin. And so they come broken over their sin. And they don't try to atone for their sin because they know only God can and did. God died for the sins of the tongue because he died for the sins of the heart. Jesus loves you. He loves your heart. He loves to save sinners. He loves to sanctify sinners. He loves to change us and the way we speak. So this again, this is where you need to begin. Don't begin by, I'm going to stop my bad habits and start new habits. No, begin with coming to Jesus first. Take the log out and humble yourself before God. And secondly, make it right. Make it right. Our sins doesn't just affect our relationship with God. It affects our relationship with other people. Against whom have you sinned? Against whom have you repeatedly broke God's word? Where have you relied on sinful tactics to get your way instead of on God's methods? So go and reconcile. Ask for forgiveness for your sins first before you confront Now, just to clarify, I don't mean every time you gossip about someone, you need to go to the person about whom you gossiped and go and confess that you gossiped about them. I don't think that's what we need to do here. I think that will hurt more than it will heal. Rather, confess to the person that you gossiped with. Go to that person and say, listen, I've sinned. I should never have said this thing about that person. Forgive me. I'm wrong. 
Ask for accountability. Ask for people to stop you in your tracks when they hear you moving into gossip, moving into what other people have done. And especially those relationships you are close to. Think of your marriage, your family members, those people that are close to you where you have sinned in your tongue. Those are the relationships you need to go and make right. Reconcile. Ask for forgiveness. And, and lastly, the last application is this. Choose your company wisely. Choose your company wisely. 13.20, Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise, become wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. 22 verse 24, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. How will you know if you need to perhaps pull away from certain friendships? Well, again, remember the test, the correction test, the humble test. When you correct that person, how does that person react? They, if they react in anger and rage, those are kind of friendships that's not good for you. Those are kind of relationships you need to end, in a sense. You need to distance yourself from. Not completely, because we are in this world, but not of this world. We still want to reach out to people, love people, but not friendships, not close relationships. We need wise people around us because we are fools. And what happens when you put a pack of fools together? Nothing good. Just more folly. So you want to constantly surround yourself with the wise so that you can learn to be wise as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your word is, is clear and sometimes cuts deeply into our hearts. Lord, as your word says that none of us um, is a perfect person and therefore none of us also don't have a problem with our tongue and our words. And Lord, we want to humble ourselves before you and confess, Lord, that that is our heart problem. There is that remaining sin within us that we so hate, Lord, that we so long to be freed from. So, Father, please give us a clean heart. Give us pure words and gracious words. Help us to walk in wisdom and to walk with the wise, to be quick to repent and slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen to one another. May we really delight to understand each other. Father, I pray that you would tr bring true reconciliation as well between broken friendships, broken relationships, broken marriages, broken parent and child relationships as well, Father. Lord, I pray that you would do this, Lord, through your grace. Lord, we, we cannot change ourselves. We cannot change others. But we thank you that we can come to you as we are. And that's what we want to do now, Lord. So, Father, show us what we need to repent of specifically in our own lives to do that log work first, that we might walk in obedience to you, Lord. Give us that wisdom, and we thank you that we can even pray these things in your beautiful name. Amen.